Right now, part four of our series in Isaiah, where we've been seeing God's gracious promise to restore his people, and through them, the nations. We've mentioned a couple of times the Japanese art of kintsugi, which is which means golden repair. It's the taking of broken pottery and mending it with golden strands and strips in it. Rather than discarding the pottery and thinking, well, that's broken, let's find another one, Kintsugi takes the brokenness and makes it more beautiful than it was in the, fo- in the first place. The brokenness becomes a feature and a mark of the restoration. And that is something that God in his grace does like no one else. He takes our broken lives, all of us, and rather than discarding them, he makes them beautiful in Jesus Christ. He puts us back together for his glory and his grace. That's kind of the theme of Isaiah 61 that we've been seeing so far. So let's quickly trace where we've got to, because we're going to see the end of verse 3 today. Here's where we've got to so far. The previous chapter, chapter 60 spoke of the blessings that God's people would enjoy and chapter 61 right at the beginning has brought into focus the one who will deliver those blessings to his people it says this the spirit of the sovereign lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me, he has sent me. That's who. All these blessings that Isaiah 61 speaks of it's going to be found in this anointed one that's the who Then you have in this passage the why. Why did he come? Well, he came to bring good news to the poor. The who, the why, and then the what. Because Isaiah then elaborates on what that good news for the poor is by describing both good news and poor in a variety of other terms. So we'll have noticed this if we've been following this series. He describes good news to the poor as the binding up of the brokenhearted, as freedom for the captives, as release from darkness for the prisoners or the blind, comfort to those who mourn, provision for those who grieve. It's piling up the terms to explain what this good news to the poor really is. And then in verse 3, the transforming effect of all of that is expressed in three insteads. Beauty to those who who were poor, who've received the good news, instead of ashes. Joy, instead of mourning. Praise, instead of despair. It's absolutely amazing. The who, the why, the what. Wow, what an amazing mission that this anointed one is on. And then it's like the passage just encourages us to take a quick pause, take a breath. And at the end of verse 3, We have the upshot of all of that. The outcome of the anointed one's good news to the poor is that they will be called oaks of righteousness. End of verse 3. A planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. See, up to this point, Isaiah has described the anointed one's work in terms of what he will do for his people. But these three short lines here are short statements of what his people will be because of his work for them. They will be oaks of righteousness. They will be a planting of the Lord. They will be a display of his splendor. It's absolutely magnificent. Let's quickly unpack each of those three phrases. Firstly, they will be called oaks of righteousness. Now the people Isaiah is speaking to 
God's chosen people, are in exile, hundreds of miles from their homeland. Why are they there? Well, they're there because they have so miserably failed to obey God and live a life worthy of him that he's actually sent another nation to punish them, cause them to suffer and take many of them hundreds of miles away into exile. The previous lines of ashes, mourning and despair are appropriate descriptions for how they are feeling. Far from mighty oaks of righteousness, they're currently puny stumps of unrighteousness living in the consequence of their sin and rebellion. We get a hint of how they were feeling in Psalm 137, lines made famous in my youth by the pop band Boney M. says this, By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while we're in a foreign land? Utter misery. But Isaiah's words here are like a ray of hope, a ray of sunshine into the long winter of Israel's punishment. I was down at Sandbanks Beach yesterday, went out for a walk along the seafront, sat down at the beach there, and believe me, it was hot. The sun was beaming down, And I actually felt for the first time in months the sun on my face. It was an amazing feeling. It was actually really, really warm. Isaiah is saying to these people in their misery, this will end. You will feel the warmth of God's grace again. As he declares, you will be oaks of righteousness. You'll be stable. You'll have dignity. There'll be permanence about you. I'm going to declare you righteous even though you've been such a mess. Wonderful ray of sunshine. So all of that was partially fulfilled in Israel's return from exile a while after Isaiah spoke these words. But let's remember that Isaiah 61 was ultimately written about Jesus. You might recall his use of this passage. He's been teaching around in Galilee and he goes to Nazareth one morning and he stands up. He's given a scroll, the scroll of Isaiah to to read from. And he finds Isaiah chapter 61 and he reads from it. And he says that these words are fulfilled today in your hearing. These very words from Isaiah chapter 61, utterly astonishing. It's all in him. He will bring the blessings of Isaiah 61 in his grace to all who will receive him. Those who are bound can be released in him. Those who are mourning will be made glad in him. Those who are in utter misery and seeming like life is going nowhere and conscious of their sin and failings, he will renew in his grace. It's all in Jesus. You see, he redefines our identity as Isaiah is doing to these people many centuries ago. You might say, I'm just a nothing. It's a common feeling among people. I've not amounted to much. I'm a bit of a nothing. And in Christ, God says to you, there is dignity. You are loved. You are wanted. You are an oak of righteousness. You might say, I'm so unstable, incapable of coping, incapable of doing much. And he says to you, I will be your help. You might say, I've been so sinful. How could God ever receive me and accept me? 
Let me encourage you that in Jesus and trusting in his life, his death and his resurrection, he declares individuals who have messed up all over the place righteous again, right with him in a right relationship. It is amazing what Jesus will do. All the blessings of Isaiah 61 listed on and on are fulfilled and found in Jesus. The grace of Jesus, the anointed one of this passage, binds up, releases, comforts, provides, brings beauty, joy, and praise, and redefines the very essence of who you are. That's one of the things I love most about what it is to follow Jesus. It's not a list of rules to follow. It's not just a code of conduct to to behave according to, I get this, I get redefined. I get security. I get God saying, I will be with you. I am for you. You are my son. I love you. I am redefined in Jesus Christ. It is magnificent. Will you let the promises that he makes sink into your soul this morning and hear those words and allow him, as one who follows him, to define who you are now? And then people who don't yet know the love of Jesus are without knowing it, desperate for the security that only he can bring and the renewed identity that he can give. Identity is an issue of epidemic proportions in our day. The Christian knows who he is. The world is desperate to know who they are. It's clear and obvious. Every single day as you watch the news, as you watch the feeds coming through, people are desperate to know who they are. And only Jesus can give the answer. Only Jesus can satisfy and say, you are loved, accepted. I take you as you are. In 2015, there was this headline in the news. Amnesiac woman found in California makes appeal for ID. A lady called Sam in her 50s spoke with a slight Australian accent, was found barely conscious by firefighters. She had no ID, no purse, no documents, nothing on her to identify her, and she had no, literally no memory of who she was. She said, there is this thick fog over my memory. She didn't know her name, she didn't know where she was from, she didn't know where she'd been. Mysterious situation. She feared this. She feared that she might die before finding out who she was. Let me suggest to you, I think there are people all over this area, all over this nation, all over the world, who, as it were, are afraid of dying without ever finding out who they are. Isaiah wants to say to us, Jesus wants to say to us that in him you can know who you are. You can know that you were made to know God, that you were made to be forgiven, that you were made to be righteous in Christ, that you were made to know the security of being loved by him. You were made to be an oak of righteousness. And in spite of whatever rebellious and sinful past you may have, you are one that he wants to declare righteous in his sight. What an amazing gospel. What an amazing thing this anointed one Jesus has come to do, to declare us oaks of righteousness. And then these oaks of righteousness, secondly, are a planting of the Lord. 
Oaks of righteousness are a planting of the Lord. In the agricultural world of the Old Testament, oaks, palm trees, cedars are frequently spoken of. But a, a fruitful planting of the Lord brings to mind the vine or the vineyard as well, which was a very common Old Testament image for God's people. Jewish coins had a vine printed on it. Vine was one of the symbols at the entrance to the temple in Jerusalem. I suggest that if they'd chosen a logo for the Israelite nation, they'd have chosen a vine heavy with grapes. It's very, very common. And yet, God's assessment of this vineyard that he'd called to be fruitful for him in Isaiah's day was this in chapter 5, verse 2. He looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad. A useless crop, a worthless crop, a bad crop. When I was in school in what used to be known as year 4, but now year 10, we had an assembly one day, and the headmaster, or deputy head, I think it was actually, called us together. He was really fierce, terrified us all. And he said to us, you, year four, are terrible. The worst year we've ever had in this school. Sort yourselves out. You'll never pass any exams, etc., etc., etc. We were a bad crop, a worthless crop, a useless crop. That was God's assessment, very sadly, of Israel in Isaiah's day. But as we've said before, along with Isaiah's messages of judgment are messages of hope. So along with 5 verse 2, later you get this, 27 verse 6. In days to come, Jacob will take root, Israel will bud and blossom and fill all the world with fruit. It's like there's a promise. You're bearing no good fruit, but you will be fruitful. And so here in Isaiah 61 is this encouragement that the anointed one will not only graciously bless his people and redefine them, he will re-empower them for fruitfulness as well. And then Jesus comes. And of course he quotes Isaiah 61 saying, this is me, I'm here to do this. All the blessings of it are found in me and through me. And he also says, elsewhere, I am the true vine. John chapter 15. And he's picking up, as Jesus does all the time, on Old Testament imagery and putting that together. It's, he's saying, it's as you connect with me, the anointed one, that you will be this fruitful planting of the Lord, my life, the vine flowing through you. Good news to the poor. This is great news. As I stay connected to Jesus, he will make me fruitful. His words in John 15 are these, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Let me encourage you today. If you're a follower of Jesus, there's a promise for you. Not only will he redefine your identity, but he will make you fruitful. Stay close to him. You are a planting of the Lord. Stay close to the vine. He will cause you to bear fruit that is pleasing to him. Oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord. And a third part, for the display of his splendor. God's people are not simply restored for their own good, but for his glory. 
See, the greater goal, the greater purpose of God's transforming Kintsugi grace is to show off his splendor, just how amazing he is, that he can take broken lives and restore them and mend them. He can take sinful lives and call them and make them righteous. It displays his extraordinary splendor and might and grace. And the life of everybody who knows him just demonstrates to all around What a God this is. That was always God's intention for his people. That through them, people would see who God is. Would see what God can do. Would see what it's like when you put God at the center of life. And through Jesus, this is becoming a reality. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10 says this, that his intent, God's intent, was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, and to every living person as well. The people of God demonstrating the wisdom of God and the grace of God and the love of God and the power of God. You look on the church and you're meant to see something like, well, God must be amazing, tell me more. See, the church is a bit like the moon. I looked up some facts on the moon. Did you know, I didn't know this, the moon is moving away from the earth about 3.8 centimetres per year, which I don't think is going to worry any of us living today. Did you know you always see the same side of the moon by the way that it turns and moves? If the earth were a basketball size... The moon would be a tennis ball size. Tides on the earth, of course, are caused mainly by the moon. But it's just a lump of rock. That's all it is. It's just a lump of rock. Its brightness, when we see it on a night sky in full moon, its brightness is simply a reflection of the sun's splendor, not its own. It's like the moon exists to display the splendor, the power, the glory of the sun that shines and reflects off the moon. Or as one writer said of this statement in Isaiah 61, we are made to be mirrors. God's people are made to be mirrors, reflecting the greatness, the splendor, the magnificence of God to a watching and wondering world. And yet... How often the church has been a carnival hall of mirrors. You've been to a carnival hall of mirrors? Or perhaps at the Natural History Museum in London, they have a couple of uh, mirrors that make you look very bizarre. You stand in front of one, and the head looks way out of proportion. The legs are very tiny. You, you stand in front of another, the, the legs are about five and a half feet tall, and the head is just tiny on top. So often... Far from displaying the splendor of the Lord, the church has reflected so badly. You think of bickering in the church. Why does anybody want to know about God when his people bicker? You think of things like hypocrisy in the church. You think painfully of scandals in the news from time to time. And it's no wonder that people watching think, I don't want anything to do with them, if that's what they're like. What must their God be like if they behave like that? 
It's an utter tragedy. Isaiah's words, Jesus' intent, God's plan right through history was that people would look on his people and see a reflection of him. They'd see the splendor of the Lord in his people. Gavin Calver, who is the chief executive officer of the Evangelical Alliance, said this, very interesting. He said, in my role at the EA before the pandemic, I'd be asked my views on abortion or same-sex marriage or something else. Since the start of the pandemic, we're asked this. How are you going to help build society socially and spiritually? How is he going to do that? How is the evangelical alliance? How is the church going to do that? How are you and I going to do that? Isaiah 61 tells us how. By us enjoying and reveling in the transforming, restoring grace of God and the new identity he gives. Please make sure you're enjoying that and delighting in it. And by showing and telling a hurting, needy world, God loves you and it's in him that you can be restored. It's in him that you can be transformed. It's in Jesus, the anointed one, that you can be called an oak of righteousness, that you can be a planting of the Lord, that you can be for the display of his splendor. Let's just take a minute before we sing again. Let's just take a minute and let me ask you, if you're a follower of Jesus, do you know who you are in him? Do you know you are loved, accepted, forgiven, chosen, wanted? Speak those things to yourself in faith. That's the word of Isaiah 61. And do you believe that whatever you may not be, that you are destined to be fruitful in Christ, a fruitful planting of the Lord? And let me ask you, where, where will you be this week? Maybe you'll be at home most of the time. Maybe you'll be at work most of the time. Let me ask you, Pray with me that the life of God in us will cause us to display his splendor. We pray that will happen through the community hub here. We pray that will happen through Team Challenge Dorset. We pray that will happen through Safe Families and all sorts of other organizations. I pray it will happen through your life. That as you go to work, you'll reflect the splendor of our magnificent God. That as you spend time at home, even if it's a bit monotonous, there'll be something about you enjoying this magnificent Kintsugi grace of God that will cause your life to display his splendor. Holy Spirit, come with us this week. Fill us, help us. We pray that we will know who we are in Christ, that we will be fruitful in Christ, and that we will display the magnificent splendor of God wherever we go this week. In Jesus' name, amen.